0: I'd like to ask for your open-eyed attention for a moment and uh, some um, more details and a slight shift of emphasis in our practice. Um, Let me preface this. One of the elements in The economy of our attention is pleasure, pleasure and displeasure. You may be aware of this to some extent, or you may listen to this with some disbelief, but in fact, our attention is not neutral. We are not impartially attentive to the things that are happening. We are highly biased in favor of pleasant experiences. And we are equally biased um, in our attempts to avoid unpleasant experiences. Uh, there is a distinct, higher availability <coughs> for attention when what happens is pleasing, interesting, gratifying, when it promises uh, pleasure. So That leaves us with a mind that basically continuously seeks to maximize what is agreeable, what is liked, what is pleasant, what is in some way rewarding. But at the same time, it tries to minimize spending time with things, spending attention on things that are not pleasant, that are not interesting, that are not liked, that are not gratifying, that do not promise more niceties. Any sober, introspective exercise will show that one up. Usually we find it quite easy to identify this habit of ours. What we don't find so easy is to actually acknowledge to ourselves the consequence of this. In other words, that there is a kind of perpetually scanning type of attention that looks for bits that are nice. Things to see, things to think, things to eat, things to enjoy, things to somehow give me a good feeling. Generally, our attention is directed to things, people, places, particular events. So that's the overt goal of our intentions. But what we actually are after is not... The things but it's the feelings these things give us yeah. so we have a car but nobody wants a car nobody truly wants one and a half tons of le- of, of metal in the garage that costs money you know guzzle fuel and uh, you have to pay insurance for and that keep rusting anyway yeah. and you <coughs> keep finding parking spots for nobody wants that what do you want is what the thing gives you. It's function and it's feeling. You want to feel mobile, independent. You want to have uh, a piece of equipment that does justice to your self-worth and to your sense of identity. and that gives appropriately expression to the status you like to be seen as having. In other words, these are all intangible things. The actual thing, you may look at it when it's new, or some kind of pleased, you know that you get such an amount of metal, or such an amount of money. You, know. you may feel that it looks beautiful, but basically, what you go for is not what you get, but you it, you go for what it gives you a feeling of: yeah. speed, pleasure, prestige, functionality, uh, mobility. Uh, you know having everybody on board and being able to move somewhere, including suitcases, sandwiches, and and the stereo stereo that's playing. So we're looking for, not the things, but we're looking for the feelings those things give us. The same holds true for money, and often the same holds true for relationships. It's our relationship to the world. primarily directed to things and people and places and events but actually what we're really after is the feeling these things give us. You know? So we resent. Mm. I've married her because she gave me a good feeling and now we're quarreling and she doesn't give me a good feeling. You know, I am not happy with that. Ever been there? Mm. Things have changed somehow and what was an implicit promise, you know, I marry you, so because you make me feel good, and I like the idea that I make you happy and you make me happy, and suddenly we find out, well, this is true, but it's not always true. Yeah? Right now she wants me to take down the garbage, and that doesn't make me feel happy. Yeah? So we we feel slightly betrayed, or we said, we said okay, that, that wasn't the deal, you know. The deal was... Uh, we'll put up with this kind of thing, we'll team up, and then you continue making me happy. Yeah? That was the deal. Yeah? That was not the deal that's in the contract, but the implicit deal is something like that. You know this sounds naive, isn't it? You know this is, nobody expects it to be that way. But look at our relationship to experience. We are highly seeking the symbolic value these things signify for us. You know? it's, it's obvious that things like money. You know, money is highly symbolic. How is it with safety? You know? What makes me feel safe uh, makes her <coughs> feel bored. You know? So we attribute value and meaning to things and events and places and people according to our wishes for particular states of feeling. You have to understand that much of what motivates us and much of what we're trying to obtain is basically ruled by the search for a particular quality of feeling good and feeling protected from what is not good, what is painful and what is unpleasant. This is healthy, just to be straight. Yeah? This is not bad, it's not immoral, it's not a, an awkward thing. In fact, this is the healthy approach to life problem is it doesn't work. It doesn't work to to the extent we expect it to be, or we feel betrayed if it doesn't work, and then we get uh, despondent, or angry, or cynical. So our exercise is to acknowledge more clearly the patterns of our attention in seeking comfort, in seeking gratification, seeking pleasure, (coughs) seeking that which we like, (coughs) and in trying to avoid which we don't like this quality buddhist psychology calls vedana we remember it's one of it's channel two of our satipatthana exercise of the uh, domains of establishing mindfulness and although it doesn't have a good english translation the best i can come up with is something like feeling tone or hedonic tone uh, and there is important to not confuse it with emotion or to not confuse it with sensation, these are three different things. That feeling tone is dramatically important. It governs much of where our attention keeps going. In fact, if you operate by involuntary attention, which is what generally non meditators are doing, then involuntary attention is really brilliant at saving your life. It's highly vigilant. It takes care that nothing bad happens to you. But if nothing threatens you right now, then involuntary attention (coughs) just keeps wanting to be entertained. It's kind of scanning the horizon for what's nice out there. Well, where do I sit? Who's interesting? What is there to eat? Where is the nicest view? What is the best table? How do I get most out of this situation? You kind of... Of skimming the horizon for, let's let's get me the good bits. You may be slightly differently, and you may kind of be of another brand of temperament, which skims the horizon for what's wrong. Yeah, so. Who's cheating the line, who's sneaking it somehow, who's taking the best seat already, you know, why are the beans not cooked, you know, you, you might kind of do this kind of skimming thing as well. This is then, you, you have obviously a dosa-charid temperament, you're more inclined to go for anger, and what's wrong? But generally, we seek niceties. Now this is fair enough, but it's, I think, good to acknowledge to ourselves the extent to which this happens. If you sit in meditation, you practice with your breath, and you notice your mind goes off, it is necessary at some point to find out whether it goes off to things that you like or to things that you don't like, whether your distractions are more of a kind that are pleasant or that are more of a kind to the unpleasant. So today we will absolutely continue with our mindfulness of breathing exercise. I would like to repeat those uh, five qualities of breath I have suggested you take up uh, as questions to develop a more intimate relationship to the relationship to the nature of your breathing the depth of the lowest most area in which you can feel the breath the rhythm of your in and out breath and the pulse, or whether the breath is slow or uh, fast, whether it is um, deep or shallow, whether it is even, yeah, whether the length of an in-breath and the length of an out-breath are even, or whether they are uneven. Thirdly, a quality of what I call tone. That means how flaccid or how alive, how vitalized your breathing experience is. Fourthly, the quality of texture, how smooth or how rasping and hoarse. Uh, The movement of breathing is an in-breath and an out-breath. Are they kind of equal or are they kind of jagged? Yeah. And fifthly, the resistance of the body against the actual movement of breathing. How much rigidity do I have to surmount for this breath to enter my chest, to widen my rib cage, to uh, dilate my tissues? Um, how easily is this possible or how hard work is this? Yeah. The fifth quality is. Less a quality of breathing, but a quality of the body that is breathing. How much is this body yielding to the rhythm of that breathing? And how much does it need to be worked to receive the breath and to give back that breath? You know? So these five qualities of breathing, use some of these qualities, ask your breath. Kind of take, take its pulse. Ask, okay, breath, how deep are you going? Okay, breath. How much energy is in one, in breath? Yeah. How much texture is there? Yeah. What is the speed of your coming, of your going? How much resistance does, does have to be surmounted for this body to be breathing? Ask yourself this. Ask your breath this. Listen, feel, and get in touch with the breath. Says There is no right or wrong way of doing this. Um, and the answer, to be truthful, actually the answer is not very important. What is important is that you're deepening your listening, that you're deepening your tactile relationship with the process of receiving and returning the breath. So use these tools. Use the phases. We <coughs> spoke of five phases yesterday. Yeah? The arising of a sensation, its increase while it works its way up to the climax, the decrease when it has gone over the hump, the tapering off when it ends, the pause. Now, those would be five phases. Of a, every event has that. Every event arises, increases for a time, decreases after it has gone over its culmination point, finally tapers off, and then there is a break. So apply that. Think of these phases indeed as phases. So there's the beginning of an in-breath, there's a middle of an in-breath, there's an end of an in-breath, the beginning of an out-breath, middle of an out-breath, end of an out-breath. If you want to stretch your capacity to stay aware, that's what we're trying in these uh, first few days. If you're trying to stretch your continuity in awareness, then you need to make out of points you need to make stretches out of this so imagine this to be stretches and that will help you to actually stay with more carefully or more minutely with an aspect of breath what I'd like to add for today is on the basis of what what I've just said which I hope you continue I also hope you continue spending some time on your posture when you sit down Be aware of body, hips, pelvis, small of the back, upper chest, neck. These would be the three key areas. Uh, On top of that, I would like you to do something more today. And whenever you find that your mind is not doing your exercise, whenever you find that your mind is doing something else than being with the breath, Before you bring it back to the breath, this is the main exercise, before you do that you notice, where has it gone? Is this something pleasant it has gone to? Is this something unpleasant it has gone to? Is this something that comes from the outside, that means my five outer senses, what I hear, taste, touch, feel uh, and see? Or does it come from the inside of my mind, is it a thought, a memory, an image, a fantasy, this is a reason. Yeah? So basically, when you, have, when you meet the meditation obstacle, when you notice that your mind has slipped away, drifted away, wandered around, before you bring it back to the breath, your primary exercise, you ask yourself two questions. Is what has distracted me pleasant or unpleasant? No analysis, just noticing. Is this a pleasant vedana or an unpleasant vedana? Is this a sukha vedana or is this a dukkha vedana? Second question: Is it bodily or is it mental? Now, I would like you to be clear. This is not an analysis. All you do is a scratch statistic. Yeah. By the end of the day, you will have a number of scratches on pleasant and a number of scratches on unpleasant. That's all. And then you go back to the breath, back to the body, back to the tone of your somatic experience, of the rhythm, the depth of your breathing. So we're having a major exercise which is body awareness, awareness of breathing. Whenever you find yourself distracted, before returning the mind to the object of breathing, as agreed upon with yourself as a primary exercise, you take a quick peek at what has distracted you, whether it is something pleasant, something unpleasant, whether it is mental, i.e. a memory or a fantasy, a comment, a judgment, or whether it is from the outer senses. You know, the rooks are turning up the volume a bit or whether it's somebody who gave off a big sigh to your left or to your right or somebody who is uh, something else that impinges upon you. Yeah? If you feel that it is not clear this is a pleasant or an unpleasant distraction, don't spend 50 minutes trying to you know, figure that one out. Just let it go. There will be plenty more. There is no shortness of raw material on this one. Yeah? So if you're not sure whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, just let it go. Go back to your breath. There will be another one you can have have another go at it. Good? Are we clear? Great, let us practice.